If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the RASC Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. In this foundational episode, we're going to take a plain English or big picture look at some of the main questions we get asked about how the property market really works here in Australia. The idea is to give you the knowledge and the tools to understand the fundamentals of the housing market down under. So you'll know what we're talking about as we go through the podcast. And we're going to focus on one core topic in each episode. I'm joined by the Queen of Buyers Agency down in Victoria, Amy Lunardi. Amy, it's great to chat as always. That's a lovely title. I'll take that. (laughs) Thanks, Pete. (laughs) You can trademark that one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so thanks so much for joining because you're active in the market every day and every week. And the key topic that we're going to tackle today for people who are interested in buying a property, either as a first home or as an investment, we're going to talk about the difference between buying a property at auction or via private treaty. Those are the two main ways in which people buy property in Australia. And a few people have written in and asked about this. So, Amy, you work as a buyer's agent. So tell us a little bit about what you do and the role you play in helping people to buy a property. This is particularly relevant for us because we are both buyer's agents. And it'll be a really interesting discussion today because we're buyer's agents. And for anyone that hasn't heard about a buyer's agent before, our job is to actually buy properties for our clients. I used to say it's kind of the opposite of a real estate agent, but it's it's not really, is it, Pete? We're more of an advisory and we take our clients on that journey and help them actually purchase a property. So we're dealing with private sales and auctions every single day and having to understand the intricacies of both. But it'll be particularly interesting today because you're in Queensland and I'm in Victoria. And not only is it different to a certain extent interstate, but then also within each state and within each city, each area tends to have different types of ways that they handle sales. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So effectively, the role of the buyer's agent is to put an independent and licensed real estate expert, but on the buyer's side, every seller has a real estate agent working for them. 
But historically, not every buyer has done that. And that's where we come in and help people to buy property. So, yes, you're absolutely right. And you might be very familiar with an auction. I think I think everyone's pretty familiar with the way that a property auction works. They might have not been to one or, or seen one or participated in one before, but they're pretty familiar with the concept. And if not a property auction, then another kind of auction. But a private sale, just to explain at the very beginning the core difference between them, a private sale is essentially anything that's not an auction. But there are so many different variables when it comes to a private sales auction that auctions are relatively consistent depending on where you are and which state you're in. They have consistent rules and procedures. Whereas a private sale, it's a bit more of a a free-for-all. Is that fair to say, Pete? Yeah, it's one of the really frustrating things, actually, for people buying property in Australia. If you go to other countries, you tend to have one set of rules across the whole country. But in Australia, we've got all the different states and different territories operating under different real estate laws. So the process, although it's similar across the states, it's actually quite different, especially when you get down to the detailed level, the nuances. Uh, and that's where I guess having an expert on your site can really help. So where is buying by a private sale or private treaty, where is that more common in Victoria? In Victoria or in in Melbourne, it's more common in the outer suburbs. So it is, and the regional areas too. Melbourne inner area is the most auction dominant in the same way that Sydney is as well. But because when it comes to deciding as a vendor, whether you want to sell your property via private sale or via auction, the key thing that you need for an auction is ideally competition. And without multiple bidders and without multiple buyers, well, what's the point in going through that process? Because you are essentially eliminating buyers who may need, for example, subject to finance. And we'll explain what a conditional offer or or what that means in a moment. But you generally do get that competition when you are in those inner areas and the more competitive areas and the areas with overall more buyers, which is in the inner, bigger main cities. Yeah, so the big two auction markets are obviously Sydney and Melbourne. And even within those two markets, as you said, it's mainly the inner or premium markets where properties tend to go to auction. A really big weekend might see, say, 1,500 auctions in a city like Melbourne. If you go to somewhere like Brisbane or even Adelaide and Perth, I mean, Brisbane, 100 auctions would be a huge weekend. So most properties in Brisbane, in fact, all of the other capital cities around the country and the regional markets, most properties will sell by a private sale. And actually, we even find in Brisbane, the properties that do get taken to an auction campaign still end up passing in and being negotiated afterwards. So it's really, a, it's largely a Sydney and Melbourne thing where people actually have those big theatrical street auctions. And it's quite interesting too, because in theory, when you are in, say, a softer or buyer's market where there are less buyers around and there is perhaps less reason to do an auction. In certain areas, especially here in Melbourne, they still do auctions anyway. And that's because the buyers in those locations are familiar with them and they know how they operate. So when it comes to an auction, essentially buyers are invited to come along and participate and bid on a property. And there is usually a couple of weeks, so three to four weeks before that auction as a campaign. The property goes online, people come and inspect that property, they start getting ready for that auction. 
And they can sometimes buy prior to auction, put in an offer prior to auction. That is a completely different process. However, if they attend or bid at that auction or even buy prior, the main consideration here is you need to be unconditional. What that means is you have to do all of your due diligence beforehand. So you have to get your building inspections. You have to get confidence around your finance, do all of your other checks. Because when you purchase at an auction and sign that contract, you are locked into that contract. You can't go and then be subject to finance. And I'll put a little asterisk there because (laughs) in some instances, if you are purchasing before auction, for example, here in Melbourne, we have a unconditional period, three business days before and after an auction where there's no cooling off. But outside of those times, you then do technically have a cooling off period. Yeah. So that's a really important point. If you're looking to buy a property at auction and when the hammer falls, if you're the highest bidder and you're the successful bidder, then effectively you're going to be taking ownership of that property. So you need to be 100% clear whether you're buying in your own name or buying jointly with a partner or buying in even a a trust or a different structure. Uh, you need to have your financing in place. Uh, and you need to be, as Amy said, you need to be 100% clear that you've done your building and pest inspections, your full due diligence, because there's no backing out when you buy at an auction. It's quite interesting. I mean, other parts of the world, if you were to buy a property at auction in, say, London, quite often they're very faceless types of processes. You might be set in a, in a hotel or something and dozens of properties just going through one after the other. In Australia, the general idea is to have these um, sort of theatrical street auctions in front of the property. There'll be coffee brewing, maybe music playing. (laughs) Some gelati. (laughs) Yeah, or even, yes, you're right, coffee carts and all sorts. The general idea is to try and get people emotionally drawn in to the property. And I guess what can happen is that people get quite emotional and they bid to actually win the auction. They sort of lose sense of um, what's a sensible price or you know, um, they really become emotionally tied to actually winning on the day. So I guess that's why the auctions are held in the street, trying to attract a crowd, get people to really buy into the process and create a sense of excitement and competition. Oh, absolutely. And it's also the case of it's essentially free advertising for that real estate agent. So they are meeting people there on the day. If they are a really good auctioneer, there are potential other vendors in the crowd and they say, oh, this guy's pretty good. Oh, that was a really great auction. And the theatricalness is also for the vendor too. They've gone to the effort of, of preparing their property. They have an auction and that's why the agent talks so much at the start. They talk about that property. They talk about how amazing it is. That's not only for the buyers, that's also for the seller as well to have that final last hurrah to feel like, okay, this is happening. We're going to try and sell this property today. So what do you think about some of the pros and cons of buying at an auction, Amy? So I guess um, a lot of people don't really like the idea of an auction because it's very nerve wracking if you haven't done it before. Um, Hence why they engage uh, buyers agents such as yourself. I guess the thing is, um, the average person is probably only going to be buying a property maybe once a decade or so. And uh, obviously, they don't get much practice at bidding at an auction. Um, I suppose on the plus side, some people do like the idea of an auction because you can see the other bidders and there's a bit more maybe transparency in the process. You can see the competition, so to speak. When you're buying at a private sale or via private treaty, sometimes you just wonder whether you're bidding against yourself or whether there are genuinely other offers in the process. 
But of course, the transparency may not always be what it seems, even at an auction. Oh, what are you implying there, Pete? <laughs> well, I guess, you know, I mean, certainly if you went back a couple of decades ago, and I'm bearing in mind I used to live up in the Northern Territory, there was plenty of uh, dummy bidding going on. That's now illegal, of course. Um, but you know, who's to say that, um, you know, when people make phone calls uh, into the auction and we've got a bidder on the phone, there's always, a, I think, a sense for people that you know, they're not 100% sure that other offers are genuine, especially when you haven't met the reserve price. But I think, you know, by and large, there's less dummy bidding than there used to be. Yeah. And transparency is one of the best things about an auction because that story aside, Pete, you are bidding against other people. You can see them. Either you are bidding potentially on the street or maybe you're in the agent's office or in an auction house and you can see those other bidders. And that generally gives other buyers more confidence about the process. There is a big misconception around auctions that going to an auction, you're going to have to pay more or you're going to have to pay a premium. There's always going to be competition. And I can assure you that that is not the case. I have been to many, many auctions where I've purchased that property for well below what I was expecting for below comparable sales. Potentially that property had three or four people interested, but one of those buyers bought the day before. Another buyer couldn't get that finance in time. The other person changed their mind and I was the only person there on the day. So there are so many different variables. Last weekend, I had three auctions. The first one, I was the only one bidding despite that property being very well priced and a great property. The second auction went pretty much as I expected. There were four or five bidders that sold for pretty much for what I thought it would. And then the third auction, even though it was on a main road, it was a slightly compromised property. There were six bidders and that was unexpected. So auctions can be unpredictable but the transparency is great. And also the knowledge that you are all bidding on the same terms. So you might have slightly different settlement dates or agreed changes in the contracts, but ultimately it's going to come down to price as opposed to a private sale where you can miss out on a property because you don't have the right terms or as competitive conditions as another buyer. You mentioned uh, an interesting point there, Amy, and that is um, in terms of the pricing of a property. Now, one of the big news stories that was touched on by Four Corners um, a couple of weeks ago as we record was the practice of underquoting. This is something that makes the news probably once every year or two. Nobody ever gets um, tackled for it. But I guess um, particularly in Sydney, what we often see is when an auction campaign starts, there's a price guide. Let's say for the sake of argument, it's a million dollars. But by the time the auction day comes around, and all the competitions building, the property ends up selling for, say, 20% more than the price guide. I mean, it seems to happen almost relentlessly. So I guess the uh, there's a couple of uh, things that people who are going to buy at an auction need to be aware of. Firstly, exactly that, that the price guide may not reflect where the property price ends up. I have to say, though, on that point, Pete, in a buyer's market, or in a market, in particularly at the moment, quote ranges, I have seen many, many properties sell for within the quote range and a couple of properties that have actually sold below the quote range, not necessarily on auction day, but that's a representation of that vendor not being aligned with the market or perhaps there's not a lot of good comparable sales and then that property ends up passing in. So back at the end of 2019, I remember speaking to a buyer and they said to me, I just add 10% on top of the quote range. That's what the property is going to go for, right? That seems to be the case. Absolutely not. 
the quote range can be anything that the agent or the vendor decide to set it at. In theory, it should reflect comparable sales and it should, in theory, reflect the vendor's expectations, but it doesn't always happen that way. It would be a perfect world if it did. And Pete, is it true that in Queensland, it's actually illegal to quote an auction quote range? Yes, it's uh, one of the nuances about property in Australia is that you're right, it's very different in Queensland because you won't get a quoted price guide. So it's very frustrating actually for people interstate and they're interested in buying a property north of the border. They look online on realestate.com or on domain and there's, there is no price guide given. So in the end, there's no real substitute, as you mentioned, for looking at as many comparable sales as you can find. These days, you may need to pay for a subscription database to get access to some of those sales figures. Uh, you'll find some of them online, but maybe not that many. But there's no real substitute for doing your own market research because, as you said, in a soft market, the price guide might be on the high side, uh, but plenty of times uh, the price guide will prove to be too low. And the reality is the agent doesn't know how much that property is ultimately going to sell for. They can make a really educated estimate and they're more educated than you are. You would hope so because they're selling in in that local market every day. But there's also what's called the vendor's reserve. So at an auction, the vendor will set a reserve price and that is the minimum that they're happy to sell that property for. And if bidding exceeds that, the property sells to the highest bidder. And if it doesn't, that property will what's called pass in. It will pass into the highest bidder if there was a bidder, and then they will be invited to negotiate. However, the kind of the loophole, I call it a loophole, but I have never been able to think about a solution to this. And I don't know if you've got an opinion on it, Pete, but the vendor doesn't have to actually ever commit to a reserve and they are allowed to change that reserve at any point in time. They can actually change that reserve during the auction if they want to. In an ideal world, maybe that wouldn't be the case, but then that's really challenging for a vendor to be able to figure out how to approach that. And things do change for a vendor. Yes. And I think sometimes it's really guided by what's happening on the day. If not many people are turning up and not many people are registering to bid, people might get their jitters and adjust their reserve accordingly. So I think for people buying it's an option, I mean, the key really is preparation. You need to know what price you're prepared to bid up to. I think what you want to avoid doing is um, getting drawn into an emotional bidding war. And um, I think having a, a level of confidence around your bidding process as well, uh, I think it's um, it's usually a bad look if you start whispering to a friend or your spouse during the auction bidding process because it, it suggests that you're getting close to your limit. So I think um, having a plan and a preparation is pretty important. Yeah, having a plan is really important for an auction in terms of setting that limit, but also having a plan on if that property passes in, what will I do? That is something that I feel like nobody goes into an auction expecting to happen unless the agent has potentially given you a heads up that it could happen. And agents do tell me that sometimes and I prep the clients accordingly. But in which case, that's a very high pressure situation that you're in. Some agents are very aggressive in their negotiation manner. They might give you a really quick time frame, say, if you don't pay this price, we're moving on. Other agents are going to give you more time and space to think about these things. But you need to have a think about what you are going to say and how you're going to approach that negotiation if it passes in, because you might be taken by surprise. Yes, it happens um, surprisingly often, especially in softer markets. In, in terms of the actual bidding process, Amy, I guess you do dozens of these auctions. So 
it becomes second nature to you and you can read the market and read the process of the auction. For people who are less familiar, how does the bidding process work? What kind of increments should they use when they're bidding? Should you bid quickly or slowly? <laughs> Are there any strategies that you can reveal for us? Well, my the short answer there is it, it depends. And every auction is so very different. And I would say if you overanalyze it too much or if you try and go into it as a non-professional bidder, you're actually going to stress yourself out quite a lot. So the best angle there or the best tactic is to have that absolute emergency, no regret number in your back pocket and then to bid confidently and loudly up to that limit. Once that property has hit reserve, then you may wish to to break those increments down further. But there is no rule of thumb to say, you know, bid 2,000 if the other person bids 5,000 or break it down or do a slam bid. You need to use a little bit of judgment on the day as to what you think is appropriate. That's some of the best advice I've heard. I wish I'd known (laughs) that the first time I bid at an auction. Stick some dark glasses on be confident and decisive. And don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. <laughs> and stick to your plan. Yes, it's uh, it's very true. I think it's um, something that could be overanalyzed, but in the end, you don't know who's going to turn up. Exactly. And by all means, Pete, I can say this with confidence, the person who has the most money at an auction isn't necessarily going to be the one that buys it. And I know this because I've had many underbidders approach me after the auction or the weeks later to engage me for my help then they had more money and they chose to not go any further because they had doubt, because they hadn't put enough planning into it, because they felt like the other buyer wasn't going to stop, because they just didn't have the confidence. So yes, in some cases, whoever has the most money, well, you know, maybe they'll win, but not always. Yes, you never know how these things are going to play out on the day, um, which I guess is what creates quite a lot of the stress in the first place. Um, Let's talk a little bit about buying by a private sale or private treaty. It's already sort of mentioned that that can be more common in maybe outer suburbs or regional markets. And that's probably true across Sydney, Melbourne, and to some degree as well, Queensland, that I guess most properties in Queensland sell by a private treaty. So the process here is a little bit different. So I guess one of the first annoying factors is that the contracts can be different across each state. So in Queensland now, we do have a standard contract for sale, which is good because it's immediately obvious if there's anything unusual or non-standard in there. In Sydney, well, the contracts can still vary a little bit. What about down in Victoria, Amy? In Victoria, the contract for whether it's a private sale or an auction is, is pretty much similar. They might have a couple of extra conditions if it's an auction sale, but otherwise they're relatively similar. But the key difference with a private sale versus an auction is the lack of rules or the lack of consistent process. Now, each agent and each agency can run their private sale in a different method. There's no reasons or there's no regulations around how they have to run this to the point where if you buy or are interested in a property from, say, John at Ray White, and then if you want to go and buy another property from him next week, he even might have a different process because that vendor has different preference on how they want that to run. And what I mean by all of this is, here's a couple of examples of how you can buy a private sale. It might be a case of you only get one offer to put in. It's called best and highest, and you don't see what the other offers are. And that's really challenging because you don't have the right to increase your offer if you're not the highest. 
There might be a situation which is called backwards and forwards. They call you, say, hey, Pete, I've got an offer of 600 on 90-day settlement. What do you want to do? You say, I'll go 605, backwards and forwards. There might be a situation where they do get an acceptable offer and then turn it into a little mini kind of boardroom auction or a Zoom auction these days. So there's all different ways it can play out. And even within those methods, say best and highest, you could get, if you're the first person, you could get the second right or not. You have to ask all of these questions before you go into a private sale negotiation. Otherwise, you might get taken by surprise if you're assuming the process will be similar to another process you did recently. So yes, as a, on the plus side as a buyer, the process could be less emotional and you can make a more considered purchase. But as you said, on the disadvantage side, it could take longer. Every process might be different with each agent. And often there's less transparency. One of the things we definitely find in Brisbane is if you express an interest in a property, there'll never be a situation where there's no other interested parties. <laughs> the agent will always say, oh, yes, we've had somebody phone me this morning. They're very interested in making an offer. It's a part of the sales pitch. And it does immediately, as a buyer, give you that sense of there being less transparency. So I guess in a similar vein to buying at an auction, um, you, you want to be 100% clear about where you think the price sits. You want to get the contract reviewed by a solicitor or conveyancer and do your full due diligence before you get to the point of actually wanting to make a formal or written offer. Yeah, and the main one of the main benefits of a private sale is you can be what's called conditional. So you can have conditions in your contract and what that means is that condition has to be satisfied for you to then proceed. Otherwise, you can withdraw from that contract. And depending on which state you're in, you'll get your full deposit back. If you're in New South Wales, you'll sacrifice a small amount of money. But you can then, in theory, be, say, subject to finance, which means if you don't get your finance approved within a certain time frame, you can withdraw from the contract. So that does give you complete protection there or subject to a building inspection. In theory, you can be subject to your dog liking the property. Obviously not going to put that in the contract, are you? <laughs> you can be quite creative here. However, the more conditions you have in your offer, the less compelling it is, the less strong your offer is, especially if you do have competition. So just because you can be subject to things doesn't necessarily mean that you want to be or you should be. Or in, say, New South Wales, for example, you use your cooling off period to go and start satisfying these conditions. So it gives you a bit more flexibility and a lot more protection. Yes, I think as a general rule, the buying process is friendlier for buyers in Brisbane than it is in Sydney. So I'll give you a recent example of a purchase that we did in a suburb called Cooperoo in Brisbane. So just for the sake of round numbers, it was a house, it was a million dollar purchase or thereabouts. And when we made the offer, so we had the contract reviewed by the solicitor, we did all our due diligence, we did all our research in terms of comparable sales. We offered a million dollars just for the sake of a, a rounding it off to a round number. But the offer was made subject to finance and subject to a satisfactory building and pest inspection within 10 business days. So what that does, it buys you a bit of breathing space. Sometimes the bank will send through a valuer to get a professional valuation done on the property just to make sure they agree with the price that you've paid, at least that you're near enough to a fair market value. Um, it also gives you effectively two weeks to get a building and pest inspection carried out. Now, in this particular case, um, the building inspector found a few issues 
above and beyond the normal wear and tear that you'd expect to see on a property in Queensland. And we could actually use that as a bargaining tool or a negotiating tool. Market's been a bit softer in Brisbane this year. And we managed to negotiate the price down by around $20,000 on the basis of what came up from the building and pest inspection. We were satisfied then with the clauses. The bank was happy with the finance and we ended up buying for around 980. So that's a in a balanced market, a fairly friendly way to buy. Now, as you touched on just before in Sydney, when there's red hot competition and the market's booming, I mean, sometimes it's much more difficult to get property purchases over the line. And sometimes people end up even waiving their cooling off period uh, just to get a property sale agreed to. And in which case, it's almost like an auction, isn't it? In terms of preparation, you try and get as much as you can done beforehand. And that's why in a, in a stronger, hotter market, due diligence and being able to do that quickly is really, really important. Now, when it comes to private sales too, just to wrap things up, because this is another very important thing to be aware of, is when we're bidding at auction, like we said before, we're all pretty much bidding on the same agreed terms and it comes mostly down to price. But with a private sale, terms and conditions can influence your offer's success quite a lot. And I have seen and had many instances in the past where we have bought a property or someone else has bought a property for a lower price and this can be substantial. So the most I've seen is about a $40,000 discrepancy. And this was around the time during COVID where our offer was unconditional. Someone else's was $40,000 higher, but subject to finance. That vendor was not prepared to take that risk. They'd already bought. So they sacrificed that extra money because they wanted the certainty. And terms can be settlement. It can be your conditions. It can be how many contract amendments that you can make. It can also be how difficult you've been with the agent. I've seen, I've heard of some agents just saying, we don't want to deal with this buyer anymore. That's a horrible thing to say, but it's true because they want to make the process for their vendor as smooth as possible. So it's not just about price when it comes to a private sale. So when it uh, comes to either buying a private sale or at an auction, you'll need to have some awareness there, as Amy touched on, at the market cycle. Uh, when the market's booming and prices are rising, the agents and the send, uh, the vendors will try to create a sense of uh, FOMO or fear of missing out to try and encourage you to make a strong and aggressive bid quickly. Uh, when the market's declining or uh, there's less activity and less competition, uh, you generally have much more bargaining power there as a buyer. So the, the market cycle is something to be aware of. And um, I guess these days with the media, it's a little bit easier to get in touch with the general vibe of the market, but it does come down to your local area as well. Yeah. So to summarize, whether you buy at auction or private sale, I would say that neither are what I would call better or gonna is superior to the other one. They both have pros and cons. So the pros of auctions being that it's mostly going to come down to price. It is transparent. There are specific rules. Whereas the pros of private sale is you can actually be conditional. However, there's there's less rules and less transparency. So depending on which market you're in, the important thing is to understand the intricacies of, okay, how do properties get sold in this area? And then when you are approaching specifically a private sale, asking as many questions to that real estate agent as possible. How's this process going to run? What does the vendor value? Is it more around price? Is it more around terms? How can I make my offer competitive and how will you then handle that offer? And that's the best position that you can put yourself in when it comes to a private sale. 
Perfectly summarized. Thank you, Amy. And um, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. Now, we always encourage everybody to send us your property questions and you can drop those in in the links in the show notes or even if you just want to say good day. Uh, now, Amy, if people want to contact you, any questions about the property buying process, where can they go to to find out more? Yes, so they can follow me at amy underscore lunardi underscore property. And also check out my first home buyer online course at thepropertyguidebook.com.au. Fantastic. Thank you. And uh, I'm pretty easy to track down online. Pete Wardian Blogspot is my daily blog or petewardian.com. And you can find me on most of the social media channels, spending way too much time <laughs> online. Uh, so thank you so much for joining in. Do send us your questions. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. And thanks, Amy. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.